Hi, I'm Lauren. Hi, I'm Kelly, and welcome to The Millennial Minimalists. We are two Canadian millennials and minimalists on a mission to live more with less. And together, our goal is to inspire you to design a simpler, more intentional life. Hi, everyone. Today, we're talking about how to make the most essential things in our lives more effortless with two-time New York Times bestselling author Greg McEwen. Greg and I originally spoke about his first bestseller titled Essentialism back in episode 85, where he shared his insights on how to prioritize your life around the things that matter most to you. And today we're speaking about his latest book titled Effortless, Make It Easier to Do What Matters Most, which goes one step further by giving you the tools to pursue what matters most to you with ease. If you find yourself feeling overwhelmed by the number of essential tasks on your plate, or if you want to learn how to approach hard projects with ease, or make tedious tasks more enjoyable, this discussion is for you. Greg says, quote, effortless is about a whole new way to work in life, a way to achieve more with ease, to achieve more because you are at ease, a way to lighten life's inevitable burdens and get the right result without burning out. Nothing but net. Be inspired to let go of physical, mental, and emotional burdens that can sometimes hold us back and achieve the awareness to focus on what matters most with ease. Hi, Greg. Hey, how are you, Kelly? Good, how are you? Yeah, I'm not bad at all. So it's great to see you for a second time and congrats on the success of Effortless. It's been a huge Thank success. You. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's, it's done better than essentialism at the same point. We're optimistic that, uh, that it will help continue the movement that we're trying to create here. You're only growing. It's amazing. So we last spoke about your first New York Times bestseller, Essentialism, back in the fall of last year. And today I'm super excited to talk about your latest book, Effortless. Now in your first book, Essentialism, you give us the tools to help us remove the non-essential in our lives so that we can focus on what matters most. And now in your second book, Effortless, which I see as an important part two to essentialism, you talk about how to carry out an essentialist life style more effortlessly to avoid burnout and to make essential tasks more enjoyable. And in the beginning chapters of Effortless, you share that while you had stripped everything in your life down to the essentials, it was still too much. And when I first read this, Greg, I was actually listening to the audio version uh, just mm -hmm. on the street. And I said to myself, yes, yes, Greg, that's exactly what I'm going through right now. It was so incredibly <laughs> relatable. <laughs> it made me so well, well, I'm pleased about that because this is, this is true for people in the hit squad, what my brother calls the hit squad, the hardworking, intelligent, talented group, and you're part of that, and your listeners are a part of that. For that group of people, the problem is that there, there are too many really important responsibilities. So now what do you do? Do you put down something that's essential, uh, or, or do you figure out a new strategy. A lot of people do put them down. They put their health down or they put down a, a relationship with a spouse or a significant other, or they deprioritize a family relationship or some key project at work. I mean, that is what a lot of people do. Uh, and so the question is, is there a better way? Is there a, an alternative way? And that's really what I explore in this new book, Effortless. Exactly. To do it in the right way, to focus on the essential things in the right way. When you said that, I was just like, okay, just everything made sense to me. And, you know, mm. I, I would, I would say that since reading Effortless, I've learned that the stress that I was feeling, the burnout, you know, not being able to manage all the essential things in my life was 
coming from or brought on by me not making time to do nothing, which we talked mm. about in our first interview, which is very challenging for some of us, yes. and me making essential tasks harder than they need to be. So, and, and what I can tell you now is that I am feeling better since reading your book. And so I'm so excited to share your tips with our listeners today for that reason. Oh, I'm, I'm delighted about that. And, and you're right. I mean, for, for overachievers, uh, you know, we've developed a competency in doing and doing more and doing all the time. Uh, what we haven't developed for many of us a competency in at all is how to rest, how to relax, how to do nothing, how to pause. Uh, in fact, for a lot of overachievers, they, they feel quite uncomfortable. The second they're not doing and making stuff happen, they, they feel a bit lost. And so that discomfort leads them back into what my wife and I uh, call uh, sneaky work, you know, mm. where, where no matter what you're doing, okay, you go for a walk, but you've got your phone out. You're, you're sitting in a hot tub somewhere, but you're still trying to make something happen. And it's because we haven't learned literally how to relax, what recuperates us. And we're much weaker as a result of that because high performance, the, the reality is that it's a rhythmic experience. We need intense work that's sustainable. Uh, we also need recuperation, rest, so that mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, we're, uh, we're able to be renewed. So it's a bit of a sort of launch pad experience, a slingshot, that's a better term, where you, you in, the, in the relaxation, in the rest, in the doing nothing, so to speak, we're preparing to propel ourselves forward the next day. And so one important rule I would put for overachievers, right, as we start this conversation is to not do more today than you can recuperate from today. Mm. To not do more this week than you can recuperate from this week. And in that way, you are protecting the asset of you so that you can perform well, not just for a day or a week or a year or even a season, but for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. That is a huge value addition for people that otherwise get into boom and bust execution. They go strong for just a moment and then they're crashing, feeling bad and so on. It's a much, much better way if you can get into that kind of sustainable high performance. No, absolutely. A lot of us, we just focus on the, you know, the 15, 30 seconds ahead of us, right? When we should be <laughs> focusing on the long term. You know, it's so important to balance it out. But uh, mm. to start our conversation off, I, I thought I would ask you if you could kindly share the first moment you thought to yourself, this is still too much and how your book Effortless came to be. Well, as you say, I was, I mean, essentialism had been a runaway success. It changed everything for me. I remember, uh, you know, these, these classic moments that I'd never expected to have where I went to a book signing and there's literally 300 people in a line uh, and, you know, right around the, the building and they run out of books. They'd never run out of books before. And I'm, you know, these are, these are the kinds of moments mm -hmm. I felt very grateful for them. And it meant that it meant that, well, and that was just sort of on the professional side. Mm -hmm. In addition to becoming the father of essentialism, I was now the father of four children. And so responsibilities had naturally grown. Uh, and I was being more and more selective, significantly more selective than I'd ever been. Things like, well, not writing another book, even though that was a lot of push and demand uh, and call for that. Uh, I, I put on hiatus the class I was 
I co-designed Stanford. Oh. Uh, you know, that's, that's a pretty significant, you know, don't do it. I hadn't built a training company, which again, people want to do. And that's just on the professional side. But despite all that, I was on a trip one time and I'm just thinking, I was thinking about the, uh, the big rocks theory uh, that, that many of us have heard. The big rocks theory is if you, if you take a container, it represents your time, but you've got this container, the order you put the objects in matters. If you put the sand in first and then small rocks and then try and put the big rocks in at the end, geometrically, it just doesn't fit. And so the idea, the teacher comes along and says, oh, here's what you do. You put in, you, you put the order wrong. Let's do it the right way. Put the big rocks in first, the most important things in your life. Uh, then put in the small rocks, the, the intermediate important things. And then the sand fits in in between. And that's how it all fits in. And, and I so, still subscribe to that thinking, that smart strategy. That's a good idea. But I suddenly asked myself the question, yeah, but what if there are too many big rocks? <laughs> what if it's you know, overflowing? Yeah. <laughs> even if you, if you only put the big rocks in, but they don't fit now, what do you do? Mm -hmm. and, and I think a lot of people can relate to that question. And in the midst of already thinking about that question, already experiencing that, uh, I was traveling and got a, a call from my son on my wife's phone, which already got my attention. It was a video call and he, he's you know, pale faced and he's trying to explain what's going on uh, in sort of intermittent sentences uh you know eve which she was eating then then she, this happened and that and 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 i hear my wife very concerned in the background turn the phone around so that i can see what's going on and uh and what was happening is that my daughter was having a massive um tonic clonic seizure um and that was the beginning of a discombobulating health condition uh that she uh, that she suddenly uh, started experiencing so now you've got a huge additional rock, a family crisis. Mm -hmm. It's highly important and highly urgent. Uh, it's going to require our attention. Mm -hmm. So what do you do? Mm -hmm. Do you just put all the other rocks aside? Some people do that when they're faced with a crisis like this. And, and the, the consequence of it is that you could burn out. First of all, you could burn out your health very quickly. You're mental with the anxiety and the fear of the unknown situation that we were dealing with. Uh, you could easily burn out your, your, you know, your marriage could just be, just, just be worn out thin and then break mm -hmm. all together. Uh, you could destroy your family culture and all of these things and maybe still not help your daughter because none of those things are actually helping to put you in the right state or environment to be able to make optimal trade-offs and decisions. So anyway, that is one path. And you'd think, well, you know, who'd want to take that path? But I think that for a lot of people, there, are, there is only one path in life. You know, they, they've really been trained and rewarded for just pushing harder, doing more. And as a result, they can overcomplicate and overexert and take this path of burning out and still not get the results that they want. And very fortunately for us, there was a, you know, a really clear insight that came, which is that there are two paths. I've already described the first path. Uh, we could have been worried about everything. We could have complained about everything. We could have focused on this and nothing else so that we get, you know, uh, hyper-focused in an unhelpful way, overexerting and so on, and all the ways I've just described. The second path is, it isn't a path of caring less, but it's a smarter, lighter, uh, and I will say easier path. And, and really fortuitously, we ended up taking that path 
well, what did it look like? I mean, it looked like looking after ourselves physically. You're not just going, okay, there's, it was, we didn't forget that there's six of us that need to be as healthy as possible. So it looked like still resting. We weren't just pulling all nighters trying to, you know, solve this ourselves as if we were neurologists. It looked like being grateful for every possible good thing in this trouble, to be grateful in it because that instantly increases a, a healthier perspective and it puts things in perspective. It means that it's easier to know what to do next and what not to do next. It looked like getting around the piano and singing. It looked like laughing together, playing together. Mm -hmm. And all of these things had a sort of magical force about them uh, and helped us to find that there was this alternative way of doing life. It was critically important in being able to help our daughter uh, through what turned out to be a rather undiagnosed neurological condition that, that almost put her in a coma. Um, yes. And but also critical in discovering that there really is a different way of doing life, a lighter way of doing life, a lighter tone in your life. And suddenly you say, oh, well, the solution to the problem isn't just what you do. It's not just focusing on the essential. Mm -hmm. It's how you go about the essentials. And you suddenly discover those big rocks. Some of them, some of them, <laughs> the important thing is within the rock, but it's almost like it's got all of this, you know, just all this debris on top of it, you know, moss, is that the word, the word I'm looking for? That, that, that just grows on, on top of it, all this over-complication and over-worrying and over-programming. Over and so we make it harder to actually fit into our lives. We, we've over-complicated it. We've overthought all of it. Mm -hmm. What if we could simplify all of that? Well, suddenly you say, oh, the most essential things can fit, but we've figured out a simpler way to go about life. And so uh, those are just, you know, some of the lessons that we learned. Uh, going through this experience. And, and one of the things that gave me fire for the deed to actually write Effortless uh, and share it with the world. Incredible. You actually say in your book, no matter what hardships we encounter, we can always look for the easier, simpler path. I thought yeah. that was beautiful. And, and let's just say it a different way. No matter what's going on in your life, you can always make it harder and more complicated. Yeah, absolutely. So, <laughs> so to use just even a single example, no, no matter, um, this is Jeffrey uh, Holland, a, a religious teacher that, that teaches this, he says, it's one of his maxims, he says, no, no matter, basically, no matter how a thing is, you can almost make it worse by complaining about it. So, so that was a specific skill that we learned in the midst of this situation with Eve. And I think it's immediately applicable for anybody listening to this is just after you complain, say one thing you're thankful for. Mm -hmm. it, it will ease the burden of your life. It will ease the relationships of your life. If every time you complain to your significant other, you say one thing that you're thankful for, for them, for life, you will see instantly the effect of it. And, and what a lot of people think of that type of gratitude and thankfulness, well, that's a nice to have, you know, that's a, that's a good thing if you're sort of into Zen thinking, whatever, like it's sort of, put into a, a certain corner of life. But what they don't understand is that that approach to life is catalytic. It, it makes the results you want in life significantly easier. It will draw to you in life the things that you care about so much. I can state this succinctly this way. When you focus on what you lack, you will lose what you have. When you focus on what you have, 
you will gain what you lack. I find that principle to be true, not just in times of, you know, horrendous challenge as, as we dealt with with Eve for two and a half years, but also in the great times. Uh, people who become successful but they struggle to become very successful is because they're not being grateful enough in the, in the experience they're having. Gratitude will streamline the mental clutter in your mind faster almost than anything else that I know of. And it also draws to you the next set of things to work on. Uh, and it's a, I'm a, li a living exercise. I'm exercising that principle literally in my life now constantly. I'm trying to do it better. I got so far to go with it because the principle has almost no bounds. I, I have a list of quotes in my phone, so I keep it in my notes. And this right. was the most powerful quote I got from your book mm. that you just said. And I know you also shared it on the School of Greatness podcast with Lewis mm. Howes, and he really yes. appreciated that. He like ate it up. And, yes. uh, you know, in, in your discussion and in your book, you basically detail that, you know, when we hold on to grudges, regrets, and expectations, these things can really occupy our mental space mm -hmm. and hold us back. But when we shift our mindset and, and to the things that we're thankful for, we can actually, you say, use our resources to focus on what matters most. Uh, and you give an example of BJ Fogg's happy recipe. Uh, mm. Can you explain that? BJ Fogg, of course, is the um, behavioral scientist uh, at, uh, at Stanford and a friend of mine. He, she says, look, you connect a new habit uh, to an existing habit. So it could even be sometimes a habit that you don't love that's in your life. It doesn't have to necessarily be a super positive one, but it's certainly something triggers you uh, and you link your new habit to it. So you say, after I X, then I will Y. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, uh, after, I, after I brush my teeth, then I will floss a single tooth. You know, that's one of his classics, you know, that you, you just do a tiny habit. And so it was from there that I sort of developed this, uh, I think what you're calling sort of the happiness habit, um, the, or the hap happiness recipe, which, which is literally this. Yeah, we, we, we've mentioned it. But, but as soon as you, you know, after I complain, I will say something I'm thankful for. After I criticize someone, I will say something I'm thankful for for them. If you do what I just described, well, what happened to me is that I discovered how much I complain. I complain much more than I realize. Uh, <laughs> and... I think of myself as a pretty positive person uh, and, and, and so on, but I, it's just, it was just endemic. It's just, people say, you just start conversations. Oh, can you believe this? Can you believe that this thing's going on? Oh, that meeting took longer than I thought. Oh, I'm so tired. Oh, this. it's just so in the air, so easy to do it. And so I just, if you, if you just want to increase your, instantly increase your level of happiness, you will start to focus you know, a little more on the things that you have and that are going well. I uh, had on the What's Essential podcast recently, Benjamin Hardy, and he shared an extension of this happiness recipe, let's say. He calls it, uh, you know, he puts it in a question, are you in the gain or the gap? And that's the, the name of a new book that he's, uh, he's co-authoring. And, but, but that idea, do you think for otherwise successful people, who start to get in the gap. That is to look at all the things that they haven't achieved yet, that aren't as they would want them to be. The gap between where they are right now and all they aspire to, hope to have, want to have. Well, that's 
an ideal that is endless. I mean, you, you, you'll mm -hmm. never have everything that you could possibly want and, and, and so on. And so he says, he says, you can be successful with that mindset, but you can't be happy in it. <laughs> and the alternative is you can also be successful with uh, gain mindset, which is to look at where you've come from, how far you've come, who you've become, the progress you've made as a person in relationships around you. He says, he says, you can be successful in that mindset too, but you will be happy in it. So the question isn't about success or non-success. It's do you want to be in a happy state through your life? Mm -hmm. uh, and for, for a lot of successful, otherwise successful people, they're not for these reasons that we've been discussing. Uh, and, so, and so, yes, I think even though it doesn't sound especially impressive to get to a 50-50 state in your life uh, by simply saying one thing you're thankful for every time that you are you know, complaining, you find for most people, they will find that that is a significant upgrade in the state that they're living in. And I, I would put to people listening to this that the state that they are operating in in this moment is the most important thing in their life because everything is really another now, another two and a half second now. That's the measurement of now. And we want to live in a state of uh, in an effortless state, a state of gratitude, a positive state so that we can uh, better uh, orient ourselves in the world and take the most advantageous steps next. And you're only going to do that in the right state. It's really being more mindful of your thought patterns, right? And how you're reacting to the tasks in your life. So in, in your book, you share strategies to help us approach our essential tasks with ease, such as by challenging us to ask questions like, how can I make this effortless? And mm -hmm. what if there was an easier way to do this? Mm -hmm. And you highlight the importance of being in an effortless state to get the right results. Uh, can you describe what an effortless state is and go into the wellness practices that can help us achieve this state? Yeah, just to be clear about the effortless state, it's a state where you're physically rested, uh, mentally clear, uh, emotionally at peace. Uh, you know, that's, that's an effortless state. Uh, I, I would say that most people have experienced the effortless state in their life, but just not very often. <laughs> and so it, it is something you say, oh, yeah, I, I've, I've, you know, it's when you're at ease. You know, you're, you're able to focus on what matters most, but you're at ease doing it. And so that, you know, a lot of people are more familiar with the alternative, which is the, you know, the stress state, the state of state. suffering, the burnout state, just so. <laughs> uh, and what does that look like? I mean, that, that experience is you get to the point where you say, oh, you know, you're, you're physically exhausted. You know, think at the end of the day, you can't even find your keys. You don't know where it is. You get a text or an email later at night from your boss and, and it just just really activates you. And oh my goodness, what does it mean? And and you just start to feel like life is just falling apart for you. Is 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 you're emotionally exhausted. You're snappy with all the people around you, the people that matter most to you. And then sometimes we've experienced the shift that can take place—a relatively easy shift where you have a hot meal, a warm shower, a good night's sleep, and you wake up restored, renewed. Now you find the keys right where you left them. That you, the, the email you text you got the night before, you go, oh, I know what they meant. I get how to ha handle this and you can handle that with ease. Uh, you're able to apologize quickly to, to the people that mattered you. Oh, as, as grumpy, I apologize. That's on me. And it's just so much easier. Uh, 
And so having described the burnout state and the effortless state, what, what I would just encourage people to do is, is figure out things that will help you to rest so that you can get back into the effortless state. It happened to me recently, I was driving uh, home and I was going, okay, what state are you in? Uh, and I thought, yeah, well, I'm not in an effortless state, that's for sure. Uh, and I, I asked this question, I said, well, what's the most effortless thing you can do to get into the effortless state? And the first answer that came to me as part of the, it's a chapter in the book or a section of the book about this, was you can go home and you can take a short nap. That's it. It's as simple as that. But the science behind naps is incredibly strong. If you take the, 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 the right length of nap, it, it will, and some people think, oh, it's for kids, you know, what are we talking about here? But it's, it will give you a higher return, a higher return mentally sometimes as a whole night's sleep uh, in terms of restoring your mental acuity and abilities. Uh, you know, get rid of that foggy brain and suddenly you're alert again and you can do things and discern what to do and what not to do. And, uh, and so it can be a highly advantageous thing to do. Uh, and so I would, I would, I would, I'm a champion napper. I'm not always getting eight hours of sleep at night, but I am a champion napper and it's a key part of the rhythm of my life to be able to be hopefully highly productive. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned that. Have you ever heard of a nappuccino by, by chance? No, but I like the name and I get, I think I get the idea, but tell, tell us more about it. Yeah. It's having, it's having an espresso right before you take your 20 minute nap. And then when you wake up, you'll, you'll feel the caffeine. Apparently it takes 20 minutes to kick in. (laughs) I don't know know if to advocate for this or not now. Uh, I'll take your word for it. (laughs) I just thought it was funny. Uh, So, I mean, my, my favorite chapter in your book is titled rest, the art of doing nothing, which Mm. you also shared on your podcast. What's essential, which I thought was Mm. so great that you did that where you emphasize the importance of rest to help us live more effortlessly. And you share stories to support how regular spurts of doing nothing can ease our performance and be vital to our health. You know, now I'm curious, I was going to ask you how you replenish your energy and you say guilt-free naps. You mentioned that in your book, Um, but what other ways you replenish your energy? I'm just, I'm very curious. And, and, and what has been your greatest benefit from, you know, making, making sure, being more mindful of that. You know, you ask yourself in the car, you're like, am I in an effortless state right now? And you weren't. So what do you usually do in those moments besides napping? Besides napping, I would say one of the things I'm doing is, is really trying to assess whether I am, I'm pushing myself beyond what I can recuperate from today. Uh, you know, am I being realistic? Am I pacing myself appropriately? Or am I playing, am I playing a one move chess game? Yeah, if you play chess in just take the next move, unaware of the bigger picture, you're gonna lose, right? Unless you're playing somebody who also is a one you know, move chess player, and then who knows, 50-50. But if you're playing with somebody any anything, you know, any ability, you're you're they're planning two, three, four, five, six, seven, the world champions are, are literally eight nine steps ahead. I mean, it's extraordinary. They can do it. That's, that's what they're doing. Similarly in life, if you're playing the game just to maximize today, then you're, then you're, going, to, you're going to pay for that. So you want to optimize for the long run. So that means when, I'm, when I start to find myself, you know, going, oh man, you're, you're, not, you're not optimal. You're halfway through the day. You're not optimal. I'm saying, okay, how are you constructing your life so that, how can you construct your life so that you are giving 
the maximum, but then just a little less. You know, like your optimal level, but a little less so that there's something left in the tank for tomorrow. Uh, so, you know, what does that look like? So, I mean, right now, one of the things I'm training for is a, sp- a sprint triathlon. Oh, wow. And I, you know, I, I say, okay, well, actually my experiment is this, um, is can you, can I prepare for the sprint triathlon and do it uh, with never aching through the whole place, never being sore the whole time? That's my, that's the experiment because I was, um, somebody sent me after they read effortless, they, they, they sent to me an interview with an ultimate fighting coach who advocates that you should never be sore. Right? So he's working with absolutely elite athletes. Nobody involved would imagine, oh yeah, you know, what you need to do is have, you know, not be sore, never be sore. You'd think exactly the opposite. No pain, no gain, crush it. You know, all that other language that we are taught. And he said, no, he says, the, the key is never be sore. And it was on Joe Rogan. And Joe says, he says, he says, no, hold on. You don't mean like beginners, right? He's like, yes, beginners. If I was working with a beginner, I would want them to never be sore. I want them, if they could max out at 10 pull-ups or 10 push-ups, let's say, I wouldn't have them do 10 or nine or eight. I'd have them do five. I'd have them way beyond their maximum so that tomorrow they can do it again. And then they can do it again Wednesday and Thursday. Whereas and if you max out, you have to take a rest. Oh, two days, I'm just out. Mm-hmm. And so Thursday comes along and that's the first day they can even exercise again. So they, they've missed out. So that boom and bust approach is suboptimal. Uh, and so for me, what it looks like for me with this, with this, um, you know, you know, this challenge, this project for me is I say, okay, well, I'm going to start swimming again. Last time I was swimming, I, I got up to like 100 lengths. Uh, 120 maybe the last time I actually swam. Uh, and I'm like, well, I don't, I'm not going to start there because if I do, then that'll be it for the week. And maybe I won't even get back to it because I feel sick doing it. Mm-hmm. So maximum 40. So you always have to have not just a minimum, like a lower bound, you need a higher bound. And the higher bound is the one that, that, that people achievers, overachievers tend to get wrong. They think, well, more has to be better and more effort has to be better. But that is not correct. It is, it is, that, is, that is wrong. So having an upper bound meant, okay, 40 lengths. Well, then tomorrow I go, yeah, well, it's just 40 lengths. I, that, that's going to be, you know, you have to know yourself and your own abilities. But like, I know that's easy, uh, easy enough that I could do it day two, day three, day four. And that's what I've been doing. And I kept doing that until 40 lengths was like, no, it's really boring now. Like I, I really need to go to 50 lengths. And that's the time I, I shifted to it. So it has made, and okay, so the swimming was the first, that was the easiest thing. Okay, then I'm going to bike down to where I swim. It's the easiest bike ride down. I put it in the easiest settings. Why? Because I want to be able to do it tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. And so this is what I've done. Today was the first day I've run because the triathlon, of course, is swim, bike and run. Wow. Uh, And so today was the run and I just went slow. It's been a while since I've been running. So I just went slow as it could be. I took a time and my goal will be just to go just as steadily you know, increase that speed. And, and I, I have as that's, this is my hypothesis. We'll see how the, we'll see how it, it, it goes. No, that's great. No, it's so true. A little bit goes a long way every single day. A lot of us, we, we start playing sports and we, for example, a lot of people, they'll get out and they play golf and they just want to hit it hard and they want to, they want to go hard, but it's like, no, 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 no. It's a gradual, it's a, it's a long game. So, you know, they've been, well, they've been taught that they've been taught 
a, a, they've been taught a false idea. They've been sold a bill of goods about what top performance looks like. Right. That's what's happened. No pain, no gain. They've been taught that, that you know, hard work w- w- is the answer. Well, of course, hard work is the answer to a certain point, but very quickly it becomes uh, suboptimal. Very quickly you get diminishing returns or even negative returns. Mm-hmm. And so I'm in favor, right? I teach my children to work. I want them to work. I think our children work harder, you know, significantly harder than the average, the, 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 the average kid. Uh, and and, and I, I want that. I want to teach that. I want to inspire that. I think I work significantly harder than the average person. But that's what you've got to start paying attention to is, you know, is to recognize what gets you here won't get you there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want 10x results. You want 10x results. Everybody listening to this wants 10x results or more. Nobody listening to this can work 10 times harder. Mm-hmm. And, and what, does even, what does harder even mean? I think, I think someone working hard and efficiently and, and having good time management skills, that's great. But if you're working hard into the ground and you don't have balance in your life, that's not good. Uh, yes. Working hard mindfully, right? And, and so it, it seems like you, you find ways to disconnect through you, you, you exercise to disconnect, which is great. And on a little side note, I actually direct a charity run uh, every year on annual oh, good. run. Yeah. So I also ran this morning and that was my way of disconnecting before we connected today so that I could have some clarity, some mental clarity. And, uh, you know, I've also started to take off my, my AirPods when I walk down the street and just listen to instrumental music on my couch without without reading, looking at my phone or doing other things, just sitting there. And I know that's, it's actually really challenging, but I've been able <laughs> to do it. And it's, it's, you know, the, it's put me in that, what you call effortless state to be able to be fully, especially present with the work that I do, but also present with the people around me as well. And, and you mentioned that in your book, you said, I quote, rest will help us be more present and presence is ease itself. I love that. Mm. And yeah. Well, well, let, we should just we should just stay on that for just a second, right? Presence is ease itself. It, it's um, the, the effortless state is is right here, <laughs> right now. It's not something you have to go fight for. It's just behind the clutter. So it's a it's a game of of sort of of just coming back into this moment fully, not avoiding this moment. A great deal of pain in life is exacerbated by trying to avoid and numb this moment instead of experience it. Uh, I have a, a daughter who is, um, who is uh, struggling with homesickness and, and, just, and just she wants to go and uh, stay, with, you know, stay with cousins. She wants to be able to go on camps and all of these things. And she does, but she just struggles with it a bit. So I was, I was spending some time listening to her recently uh, not telling her what to do because I didn't understand really what was going on. Uh, is you got to spend some time, create some space for her to declutter her mind. You know, she's so full of all these thoughts and anxieties about it. And so as you're listening, she gets to go, ah, it's not that. Is it this? No, it's not that. And she's decluttering until she gets to the answer. And one of the key answers that we got to was she was trying to avoid homesickness. Like, fearing it. Oh, I can't be, I can't be homesick. But of course that creates precisely the thing you're trying, you know, you're trying to avoid and it makes you more anxious about it. As we talked about this, uh, this whole story 
uh, the masters taught it that uh, the man faces the dragon mm-hmm. and he's fighting the dragon he's fighting all the time this dragon and, and then uh, and dragon the dragon is fear this is a symbol for fear in the story and finally the answer what the the, the soldier does the master does is he, he just puts his head down in front of the dragon and the dragon just comes and crashes down and just kind of tries to consume him and in that moment of trying to consume him it disappears and so it's like even in that it's like give instead of exerting and straining and stressing and fighting you know in her case homesickness you let the dragon engulf you just just don't fight it okay just experience it let the homesickness do what it's going to do and then 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 it doesn't last very long and then you're through it and you go okay i can't can survive this it's okay that this present moment isn't so awful and i can't you know it's not like i can't take it i can't deal with it and so so she had a very successful you know sleepover after that so so i i think that this embracing of this moment as i said before already embracing um, you know being grateful for whatever is happening in this moment not pretending it's something else admitting what it is and being grateful for it. Oh, I'm feeling homesick. I'm grateful to be homesick. That sounds so strange. I know that sounds strange. But the moment you do it, you start to go, oh, okay, well, I'm, I'm in this moment. And, and you're, you're, you can deal with what's going on right now instead of trying to constantly avoid the experience of this moment, uh, numb it, distract it, fight it, fear it, and so on, and pull yourself into, a, into a, this, uh, these other unhelpful states. Yeah, the the minimalists uh, said recently on a podcast episode, they said, when something like that happens, you can ask yourself, what am I afraid of? You know, what am I afraid of? And when you ask yourself that, it kind of turns it around. It's like, okay, it must be fear. There's some type of fear in this. But when you ask yourself that, it's like, oh, maybe I can deal with this. Maybe I can move past it. And, you know, by asking yourself that question, you're actually asking yourself to be mindful in that situation and you're saying, okay, well, this is an emotional burden that I could just walk through or let go of. Well, the, the, the key to that question, I love that question from them and I, 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 I would agree with it. The key is that the moment you ask a question you are, about your emotions, you're no longer controlled by them because mm-hmm. you are the very act, what you're changing the state from the state of anxiety to a state of curiosity. Well, oh, what, what, what are you afraid of? What are you experiencing? Even literally naming the emotion, oh, I am feeling homesick. You know, that alone creates distance between the feeling that's controlling you and you, you are now in a different state. You're stepping outside of the, the emotion, looking at it. Uh, and so, so even though it's a bit meta what we're talking about, you, you start to be an observer but that observation is the real you. So that's now you are in that state. You've immediately changed your state by observing the state, by looking at it. Uh, and I do think that, you know, again, there's so much, there's so much depth in the subject of state uh, and, and, and learning really how, how to keep coming back to this moment, but observe yourself in this moment so that you can really process what's going on, declutter it, and then find behind it, my goodness, this is, this moment is good. There's a yeah. lot here and I want to be in it. 
Yeah. It all comes back to being mindful of your thought patterns and the current situation that you're in. Uh, so in your book, you also talk about how we can take effortless action to make our most essential tasks easier and more enjoyable. Uh, can you share a couple of practices we can adopt to help us make things simpler and fun? Uh, it, well, let me give you a story. So in our family, we, were, we have family dinners pretty regularly. Uh, and they go well. We have uh, you know, lots of rituals and fun things about them. Uh, we'll, we'll toast each other at the beginning of, uh, of dinner. We'll do shout outs about things that are successful. Uh, we, you know, we just, we just do have a good time together, laugh together, share things. And, but the challenge is after dinner, when you get to dinner, tidy up. Yeah. <laughs> my, my children are like professional ninjas. They're just like gone, silently gone. And I'm like playing cat and mouse, come back here, you know, and shouting them back. And it doesn't work for them, doesn't work for me. So what can you do about it? Well, there's a few questions, right? One thing is, okay, well, what does done look like? What, what, what is success for us? And so you can't take that for granted that children know that. And also for them too, if they just feel like they are in a capricious situation uh, where there's no, there's no end in sight, and that's, that's exhausting and demoralizing too. If it's just, we'll keep doing things until, until dad decides to stop telling you to do things, then you have no sense of control. And you know, that, that's exhausting even before you've done one thing. So knowing what done looks like. Okay, talking about that, we did that. And we wrote it down, what does done look like and trained it. And then you say, okay, well, who's doing what? Mm -hmm. You divide up the roles really clearly, not just different every night. You just make decision one time. Each person knows what they're doing, how they can work together. Uh, you, you, can, you can identify. Yeah, so that's kind of pretty much what we did, training people and so on. So then the day arrives when we're going to launch into this. And I'll tell you what happened. Nothing. <laughs> it was back to Ninja City. Uh, everybody's suddenly gone again. And so the, we were building a system to make it effortless, but it wasn't working yet. And so the thing that made the tipping point, the thing that made it significantly easier, uh, in addition to things I just mentioned, is, uh, is that my eldest daughter put on basically karaoke music. Um, and that was just enough. It was like Disney classics. And sometimes when I share that, people are like, so I'm sure people are like, oh, I'm glad I'm not in their family. You know, that's not, but, but you, but you know, for, 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 for us and for, for the kids, they, they, they liked it and she was the one choosing it. And the music changes night to night now, but they get to opt into the music they want to put on and it changes the tone from being a chore drudgery to being like a fun ritual. And, and so now that's what you'll see. I mean, I, I thought oh, people won't believe us. And so I took a video, put it on uh, you know, like a t small segment when they were doing it independent of me, I wasn't even there. So it was happening even when I wasn't even oh. engaged in the process. I wasn't telling them what to do. They all knew what to do and they were doing it. And the music was on and they're dancing and singing their way through the ritual. And, and so to me, there's a lot in that little story. Uh, you know, a lot of, there's a few steps there. What does done look like? Who's doing what? How can we make it, you know, enjoyable, uh, turn it into a ritual that if we maybe don't look forward to it, that might be too much. But at least once you start doing it, it is, it's kind of, there's a fun, there's a fun element to it that, that certainly improves it from the, from the drudgery or the misery of, 
you know, yelling at each other and getting, trying to get everybody to do it when nobody wants to. So it's far better. Yeah. You tried to simplify the process, but it wasn't until you added music into it that it actually started becoming enjoyable and fun and something that they would actually be a part of. So yeah, yeah, you mentioned in your book that work and play can coexist. And I was like, yeah, so true. You know, even with my day-to-day work that I do, I, I love to write and initially I would put instrumental pop music on then I started singing the songs because I could follow them in my head I was like no I just need instrumental music that I can't follow <laughs> yes <laughs> you know that well, kind of thing. <clears throat> well I, I John Acuff is a, a friend of mine and I uh, wrote a great book called um, the most recent book is called soundtracks which I really love and he uses that term soundtracks as a kind of an upgraded word for mantras uh, that we have all these mantras in our head, all these soundtracks, and a lot of them are unhelpful. Uh, and this just totally aligns with what I'm talking about with state in the book. But he he said it used to be, well, his wife came to him and said, for the two years you write a book, you are no fun to be around. And then he's like, in the two years you market the book afterwards, you're really no fun to be around. <laughs> which means he's no fun to be around all the time, which is, you know, he's just, he's, he's, he's comedic. It is, it is the way he teaches, but, but he, he realized that he, she was onto something that he had bought into a soundtrack, which, which basically says writing is painful. Writing is really hard. It's, it's a really good thing to do later. You're glad you have done it, but it's really miserable in the moment. And yeah, there's all sorts of quotes like this from writers. Well, all you have to do as a writer is, is get up to the, the, the typewriter and bleed. And so he said, well, what if it's just a, what if it's a soundtrack problem? What if I need it? What if I could choose a new soundtrack? And he did, he chose the soundtrack light and easy. Oh. And so while he was writing soundtracks, he just said that the whole time, light and easy. He did all sorts of things to symbolically reinforce that. For example, he went and bought the shoes. You'll, you'll appreciate this. The, uh, you remember the, the, the Nike shoes that were developed as part of breaking the, the two-hour marathon mark? Right, okay. So, so they, they created these really, really light shoes. I mean, maybe it's a bit gimmicky, but I guess every, every bit helps if you're trying to achieve what seems you know, unachievable. And so he bought himself a pair of those shoes that he would wear every time he was writing just to remind himself light and easy. Let's just do this the light and easy way. And, and that's the right kind of soundtrack for effortless. And when I was reading sound, soundtracks and I came across that, I was just like, are you kidding me? I got to know this guy. This is like, this is, that's how we became friends. Uh, and, and it's so fun talking to him, working with him now in various ways. The, the, that's, that, make that our new soundtrack, light and easy. Could you go through life in a way that's light and easy? You know, when the hard things come along, the tough things, you want to be in a state that approximates light and easy. When the good things are going on, you don't want to get all burdened because of still all the things you haven't achieved. You could be grateful. You've got to be light and easy. And so I find that as a mantra, uh, both as a writer, uh, you know, where, where, but in anything, whether it's writing, exercise, relationships, what would happen if you just asked that question? How can this be light and easy? How can this be effortless? Yeah. You suddenly, you suddenly unlock your brain and suddenly there's, it, what, it, what it does is it allows you to imagine incredible things without being so burdened by it. You just, well, how, how could we do that? What, how would we, why would it be effortless to achieve this extraordinary goal instead of, which is what most people say, 
you know, they think about a stretch goal, they go, okay, well, it's going to be so hard. Yeah. It'll be worth it, but it's so hard. And it's like, well, okay, I mean, you're buying into that. That's a, that's a paradigm and you're reinforcing it, not questioning it. But you might find that that, that in, turn, in fact gives your brain instructions to find a hard way to achieve it instead of searching like a Google search, instead of searching for the light and easy way to achieve this extraordinary goal. So true, Greg. I mean, I, I'm a perfectionist. So often I would go into things saying, okay, I need to perfect this. I need to perfect mm-hmm. this assignment. I'll never forget. So actually in, in my high school years, my teachers would always say, oh, I know what assignment is yours because it always stands out in the pile because I always had a duotang on my pile because I was like, oh, mm. I'm not just going to write it. I'm going to make it look aesthetically pleasing, add some flowery <laughs> words, all these things. And then when I got to university, it was yeah. like, no, 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 just give me the paper. I don't need your duotang. <laughs> <laughs> and it made me realize the simpler way is the better way. I don't need to overcomplicate things, you know? And sometimes when you overcomplicate things, the final product is it doesn't maybe even match the simple ask, right? Uh, You know, you might not even complete the simple ask. And, you know, the person who spends 20 minutes on something, I remember it used to frustrate me. You just get a better mark than me and I put hours on end. It's like, well, because I approached it from a less effortless state. I approached it from, oh, this needs to be perfect. You know, I need to put in hard work. And, you know, admittedly, even preparing for this conversation with you today, I approached it saying, how can I do this effortlessly? Because I always, mm. I do so much research because I mean, I love what you do so much. And so I, I was like, oh, how can I do this in an effortless way? And I, I enjoyed the research so much more because it was just lighter on myself, putting less mm. pressure on myself. And so, you know, I think, I mean, that goes a long way. And in your book, you say, not everything requires us to go the next mile. Yeah. And, and sometimes trying too hard makes it harder to get the right results. And I love when you said this, because I was like, I was like, yes, you know, so relatable. And you, you, you gave the, the tip, you know, get clear on what done looks like. I would say that that is one of the most beneficial tips I've ever heard in my life. Hmm. So before you even approach a task, tell yourself, what does done look like? So that you can start the project and then get there and then tell yourself, no, stop. Right. I know it's hard, but. Well, it, it, it doesn't have to be hard. I think it can be. I mean, I think it's. The, the alternative to that question is, is just to ask, well, how, you know, is to leave yourself in such a vague but highly pressured existence. You know, for a perfectionist to just try and live out all of their possible aspirations about any project is like, is making, it's going to make their lives so much harder than it needs to be. I'm thinking here of Kim Jenkins, who, who is uh, a, you know, writes about in the book in one of the chapters is, uh, you know, she's like, the, she's like this perfectionist. She's the type of person, she said, I'm up at 4 a.m. in the morning photoshopping for my, for the youth group at church the next day. And no one's asking me to do that. That's not a profession. That's not, but she's, you know, she's taken a strength of like, oh, I want to do well and give and serve into this perfectionist you know, she's missing the mark because she's doing, trying to be too much. Uh, and so I say, okay, so you have, to get, you have to ask a new question. You must invert the mindset you have right now. You don't even know you have a mindset, but you do. And you're asking a question, how can I do this perfectly? I said, instead, you have to say, how can I do this effortlessly? 
so the, 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 this gets tested. She gets this phone call. She works at a university. She's a manager there. She gets a call from a professor who says, look, I just need you to get your videography team to come and record my class for the semester. And so she normally jumps into, oh, how can I do that perfectly? And, and so there's all sorts of complications that come with that question. My goodness. She says, she's in her head, she's going, okay, how can we get multiple cameras in the classroom? We'll record it from different angles. We'll edit it all together. We'll have music, you know, in the intros and outros. We'll add graphics, we'll get some slides sliced in the way. I mean, we're going to wow him. And I mean, she's signing up in her head for a whole videography team for four months to do this project. And then she goes, okay, no, I'm supposed to ask the question, how can I do this effortlessly? So then that gets her down a different path. She says, okay, well, what does Dunn look like? Like, who's this forum? And what do you really want to achieve? And it turns out that this is for one student who's going to miss just a few of his classes for an athletic commitment, but he needs the class to, oh, to graduate. And so the solution they come up with is just, we'll just listen to, you know, we'll just have somebody else in the class record whatever class he misses on, a, on a, an iPhone and send it to him. That's it. That's the whole solution. Well, the professor's totally happy with that solution. He'd been overthinking it too. And so that, that's, he's, he's delighted. It's a 10-minute phone call that they have and it's completely resolved. And she hangs up the phone and she's just like, that's crazy. Four months for an entire team versus 10 minutes on the phone call. That's the power of our inverting the question and asking, not how can I do this perfectly? How can I do this effortlessly? I'm telling you, there's the low-hanging fruit everywhere for perfectionists. <laughs> you know, they, seriously, there is so many easier, better approaches to get better results and without burning out. Absolutely. And then for our listeners, you know, if you ever think, oh, why is this so hard? Just flip it and say, what if this could be easy? Yeah. You know, it, 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 it's so helpful. It's incredibly helpful. So, so Greg, to close our conversation today, I have three quick rapid fire questions for you. Okay, uh, number great. one is when it comes to the work you do, what is your why? Well, I feel the sweetest burden uh, of, of, of a sense of mission. I, I, I feel that each of us came to earth with a purpose and that the work of life or the, the, the joy of life is to discover what it is uh, and, to, and to let that be manifest in our life more and more. To not try to, to be like other people, do what other people, you know, we can't live other people's missions for them. We've just got our own essential mission. And so mine is to discover it and, and maybe to inspire other people to find and, and live theirs. What is the biggest message that you want to instill in your readers? Um, with this last book, my aspiration was that people would finish reading it and say, I think I can do that. <laughs> you know, just, I think I can do that. There's something very, that doesn't sound like grandiose or anything, but what a difference it is when, when we just feel like, yeah, like we relax when we go, I think, I think I can do that. It's like almost what we say. I, I can imagine myself doing that. And we click and we go, okay, that's, that's possible. And that, that, I didn't want to overwhelm people in the book. Uh, yeah, it would be ironic. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think that's it. And it, like, I think I can do that. I think I can do what's important in my life. I think I can do that. Mm -hmm. Just strip it from all of the perfectionist stuff that gets in the way. 
Perfect. Uh, your strategies are extremely practical and, you know, I, I, I love that because they're very tangible, you know, mm. and, and I, I believe uh, Lewis House on the School of Greatness podcast also mentioned that he's like, oh, I love, you know, I just, I just love that I can read this book and not feel like, oh, it's too much. Like it was just mm. so easy and like you can take so much from it. So the last question is, what has been your greatest reward since living an essentialist lifestyle with ease? Oh, I, that, that's a great question. And uh, maybe my answer is surprising, but um, it's just unlocked my life in an unbelievable way. I am discovering, I don't even know quite what to make of it, actually. I don't have the language for it yet. Um, a little ironically, having just written a book about these ideas, but it's, it's like all of these incredible goals that are essential, that are part of my mission, suddenly seem so much more doable so then you can take action on them you can begin you can start you can go after them you know that there's the sort of two ways of thinking about the value proposition of effortless one is saying well listen if you're burned out right now which i think enormous number of people are after a year and a half of this pandemic all its uncertainty and everything well this is a way to be able to start getting results without burning out so like that's one that way of expressing the value proposition uh, and it's true but then the second way is saying, well, well, what if you want to achieve incredible things and you're not currently, or you know, there's a, there's a whole nother set, a higher contribution you'd like to get to, but there's, you're running out of space. So what do you do? Well, I guess you have to plateau in your progress. Essentialism plus effortless has a multiplier effect because you, you start to go, you, you keep asking, I keep asking about the most ridiculous goals, these aspirations, huge, huge aspirations. I said, well, okay, well, what if it could be effortless? And, and you just launch the highest leverage thinking process imaginable. Your brain just starts searching. And then and I do sort of think there is something to this power of visualization. And, and it starts drawing people to you and resources to you. Of, of, of like that help you to do it. I mean, just think of the highest, biggest, boldest, truest goal that you have for your life. Stretch it to the, its ex extreme. And then, but now it's important, it's important that it's not just goal that somebody else wants that you don't really want. It's got to be something that you detect within yourself. That's what essentialism is about. So get very clear on what is essential, but then, push it to its limit and say, how can it be effortless? And you will see that, that suddenly all sorts of people come into your life and, and you start learning things in an accelerated way. And I, I just, I just am in, I would say that quitting law school 20 years ago was the first version of what I'm describing. It was a completely different way of living. That, that followed that. It took me on a completely different path. And I would say I've entered that same experience again. It's a just, it's just, yeah, it's a really, uh, it's a really game changing way to live. I, I personally had this like big aha moment. I'm like, oh, okay. I feel lighter and things are, can be more enjoyable and, and can be easier. And, and, you know, it doesn't need to be so hard. So Thank you so much for today, Greg. I've been looking forward to this interview for some time now. So where can our audience find Effortless and follow you and your work? I, you know, I think 
if, if they enjoy essentialism or effortless, I mean, they should sign up for the newsletter. That's a one minute Wednesday newsletter. It just, of course, comes out Wednesday. You can read it in one minute. It's trying to be the most efficient, uh, you know, most essential minute you spend online each week. That's our aspiration. Um, you, the, there's, a, there's a new uh, Essentialism Academy uh, at essentialism.com where people can go and take a 21-day essentialism challenge. Each day is a small micro sort of effortless adjustment for how to focus more on what matters most, what's essential. I think that's something you've mentioned, of course, and thank you for talking about the What's Essential podcast. It just became the top, top five uh, podcasts in self-improvement and top 10 in education. So that's an important moment, milestone for us. Uh, and, um, you know, those are, those are some of the resources uh, that, uh, that I think can help people construct this new lifestyle that makes essential living as effortless as possible. Absolutely. And I would just add that I, I love following you on LinkedIn. Super, super. You. Yeah, you're active on LinkedIn and I love it. You have so much great wisdom to share. So for our listeners, definitely check Greg out on LinkedIn as well. So thanks again, Greg, and uh, let's keep in touch. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed our conversation and feel inspired to implement some of Greg's tips to help you live more effortlessly each day. And again, you can learn more about Greg and his latest New York Times bestseller, Effortless, on his website at gregmcewen.com. I also highly suggest you check out his podcast titled What's Essential, where he interviews some of the biggest thought leaders, entrepreneurs, and celebrities about how to put what's most essential to us first and do what he calls less but better. It's personally one of my favorites because I find the conversations quite insightful and actually super calming. Now, I want to end with a few takeaways that I found in the book Effortless, which may be helpful to you. And the first is, if you ever find yourself approaching a task that you feel is very hard, ask yourself, how can I make this effortless? Or if a task is tedious, ask yourself, how can I make this enjoyable? There are also five main practical tips I took away to help us carry out our essential tasks with ease, and they are, number one, to avoid overcomplicating essential tasks. Let's get clear on them and eliminate unnecessary steps. Number two, to save time and work more efficiently with ease, let's get clear on what done looks like. So before starting a project, let's get there and then let's stop. Number three, let's write a done for the day list. This will help us feel satisfied with what we have accomplished at the end of the day. Number four, let's pace ourselves and manage the common addiction to being productive. And number five, lastly, rest. Let's make time for rest. Being well-rested will ultimately help us achieve an effortless state so that we can manage our essential tasks with clarity and ease. So that is all for today. And if you have read Effortless and have stories to share about how Greg's wisdom has already been helpful to you, please kindly send us a line as we'd love to hear how living more effortlessly has improved your everyday. You can connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at Millennial Minimalist or on our website at mastersimplicity.com, where you can also find information about my co-host Lauren and I, our one-on-one -on -one simple living consultations, our snackable video classes off the pod, and our latest closet kit to help you build and maintain a simple and intentional wardrobe for good. And lastly, if you haven't already, if you are enjoying our podcast, please take a minute to rate and review us on iTunes. Your five-star reviews really keep us motivated and help us bring on more exciting guests like Greg. 
And a big thanks to all of you who have already shared reviews so far. We read every single one and we want to thank you for your kind words. So as always, thanks again for listening and I'll speak to you again soon. Bye-bye.